Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Well, hey, good morning, Emmanuel Faith. Happy Thanksgiving to you. It is so good to be together in the house of God today. If you're joining us online, uh, we are grateful that you're with us well, as well. Um, I feel like we're sort of at the very last leg of a marathon. Back in January, we began a teaching series on the letter that we call 1 Corinthians in our New Testament. It was written by the Apostle Paul to a church in... Corinth, right on. Let's close in prayer. You guys stuck the dismount. Um, my work here is done. Uh, and so written by the Apostle Paul in roughly 54, 55 AD to a church in Corinth. It was a church that he started, a church that he loved, and a church that was struggling. And they had written to Paul and asked him questions about sexuality, about morality, about food sacrificed to idols, and about spiritual gifts, about resurrection and the life to come. And over 15 chapters, Paul has answered those questions, and today we are getting to the very last chapter in 1 Corinthians, and we will finish this letter today. But as a way of reminder, let me just sort of remind you of where we've been over the last, well, 11 months off and on, okay? We started by talking about fool's gold and the foolishness of the gospel that Paul was preaching to the Corinthians of Christ crucified. We talked about the call to maturity as followers of Jesus to continue to grow in our faith. We talked about the fact that God really does care about our bodies and that he's designed us in a very specific and unique way. We talked about marriage and our sexual Sexuality. We called that season sacred sexuality. After that, we talked about the way that our faith impacts our interaction with culture. And we dealt with issues like freedom and uh, whether or not to eat food sacrificed to idols and all sorts of questions like that. And then we jumped into a series on the Holy Spirit where Paul instructed the church about the role of the Spirit in their gatherings together and in their own personal lives. And then over the last few weeks, we have been in a season that we are calling anastasis, which means resurrection, resurrection, yes. And throughout this letter, Paul has challenged the Corinthian Christians to hold on to their orthodox faith in a culture of hostility and a culture that was pushing back against them at every turn. And the reason that we chose to teach on this letter and this time is because I think we can relate a little bit to that pushback, can't we? And so after 11 months, we are going to get to the last lines of 1 Corinthians today. And I'm reminded of a saying, it says, don't judge a book by its cover, instead, wait for the last line. And so we get to read the last line today. A few weeks ago, Pastor Jeremy came to me and asked me if I would be willing to do an interview on KUSI about our upcoming harvest party. I excitedly agreed. I've done um, a number of interviews on the radio before, and I figured that this was another radio interview. How many of you know what KUSI is? <laughs> okay, so uh, I'm in the minority here. Turns out KUSI is not, I repeat, not a radio station. It is a yeah, it's a TV station. Yeah, um, and they do the morning news. And we were going down. I showed up at work and I immediately knew something was wrong because Pastor Jeremy wasn't wearing his Stay Stoked t-shirt. 
like he was dressed up. I knew something was amiss and um, I knew that I had misread the invitation. I assumed it was radio. It turns out it's TV. And you know what happens when you assume? You end up on the morning news wearing an unironed shirt. That's what happens when you in case you're wondering, uh, the interview went great. It was fun to see the behind the scenes interaction, to meet the news anchors, to hear the weatherman yell out, to see the news anchors roll their eyes when he did, to see just the interaction behind the scenes was really, really fun. And it reminded me of some of the, the famous sign offs that news anchors and television personalities have had over the years. We've heard people like Dan Rather end his show by saying, and that's a part of our world. We've heard Barbara Walters end, I believe it's 2020. We're in touch, so anybody know? You, you be in touch, right? We're in touch, so you be in touch. Paul Harvey ended his show with, good day. Walter Cronkite, and that's the way it is, right? Or the famous Ron Burgundy, stay classy, San Diego. <laughs> How many knew it was coming? How many knew it was coming? Yeah. So what are Paul's final thoughts? What are his final parting words to the Corinthian church? And of course, my clicker doesn't work on the stay classy San Diego. It's a sign from the Lord. Sign from the Lord. What does he want to leave the church with at the very end of 1 Corinthians? I'm so glad you asked that. If you have your Bible open with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Let me remind you that Paul has just finished chapter 15 where he's talked initially about the gospel and then about resurrection, two of the, the most foundational convictions that as followers of Jesus we hold. He concluded it by saying, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. I think he could have ended 1 Corinthians with that and just said, Paul signing off, I'm done. But he adds one last chapter. And in many ways, there's not a, a cohesive theme to this chapter. It's going to feel a bit like potpourri, a bit like a shotgun, where there's just some things that Paul holds so dear that he has to get in at the very end of this letter. And what we're going to see is that conclusions often reveal our deepest convictions. Our conclusions often reveal our deepest convictions. That at the very end of this letter, Paul's going to get squeezed for time and for parchment. And what comes out are some of the things that he holds most dear. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, starting in verse 1. Are you there? Right on. Here's what Paul wrote. He said, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches in Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside, to store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. When I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. So as Paul begins to end his letter, he lifts the Corinthian church's eyes off of themselves and he starts to point them to issues that are going on around the globe. It's really interesting because he has spent almost 15 chapters addressing issues that are pertinent to them. Issues like church discipline, issues like 
How do we navigate this space when we gather together? Issues and questions that they specifically had about resurrection and the last things and things to come. But in the very end of his letter, he lifts their eyes off of them and he points them to the big C church and he calls them to be a people who practice missional generosity. Missional generosity. And he does that in a few ways. He says, listen, um, just like I've done with the churches in Galatia and, and probably all around the Mediterranean, I'm calling on you, church in Corinth, to remember that you're part of a larger body of Christ. Uh, most people think that this is in response to the famine that was taking place in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 11, a man named Agabus had a prophetic word about a famine that was going to come, and the church responded to that famine by taking up a collection. Listen to Acts chapter 11, verse 29. It's not verse 97, okay? Um, So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And this is a mission, a fundraising campaign to care for the church in Jerusalem that Paul continues as he travels around starting churches. He tells them, you're part of a family that crosses ethnic, national, social lines, and that as a part of the family, you care when other people are hurting. So he tells them to do two things. Number one, set something aside on a regular basis. Build this into your weekly rhythm because when we practice generosity regularly, it becomes part of our character rather than a chore. It becomes part of our character rather than a checklist. It's something that just starts to come out of us naturally. When we build it into the rhythm of our life, it becomes a part of our heart and our soul. And Paul wants that to be true because he says, I I don't want to have to come and do a fundraising campaign while I'm in Corinth, put it aside so that when I get there, it'll already be ready to be taken to Jerusalem. And then he tells him something else. When it goes to Jerusalem, Corinthian church, you're going to get to pick people who are going to carry it to Jerusalem. Why? So that there's accountability. So that the same people who helped collect and give the money are the people to deliver the money because accountability is really important when it comes to generosity, isn't it? I hope you know this. Accountability is really important to us at Emmanuel Faith as well. Uh, We have a number of levels of accountability. We have an administrative council we call ADCO, who's a group of lay people who help oversee our finances. They make recommendations to the elders about what it would look like to move forward in wisdom with our budgeting and our finances. We have a yearly audit that's conducted by an outside organization that looks through our books and makes sure that we're doing things above board. We're part of the Evangelical Council of Financial Accountability, which is the highest level of accountability that you can have as a church or nonprofit. It means that we check all the boxes that they have said need to be in place for us to be above board. Why? Because we want you to have confidence that when you give here, your money and resources are being stewarded in a way that would honor Jesus. If you ever have questions about where the money goes, do not hesitate to ask. Don't hesitate to ask because we operate on the same principle that Paul was calling the church to operate and we want you to be generous, missional, and we want you to be able to say, I have no doubts about the way that my money is being stewarded. Here's the second thing that Paul writes. That's his first sort of parting shot. Here's number two, verse five. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia. 
for I intended to pass through Macedonia and perhaps I will stay with you, even spend winter with you so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. I love this picture. The apostle Paul, Uh, probably pulled in a thousand different directions. He's planted churches around the Mediterranean world. Um, He's written them this letter, but here's what the apostle Paul knows. Uh, Sending somebody a letter is different than having a meal with somebody, right? Uh, Sending somebody a text message is different than sitting across the table and having coffee with somebody, right? In, In a few weeks, we're gonna celebrate Christmas together. And I think that Paul's sort of thrust here is an echo of incarnation. See, what God knew was it's not enough to send a message. He needed to become the messenger, right? And Paul is calling on his church to model what he's showing them and to practice personal, the value of personal presence. The value of personal presence. It wasn't just something that he did. It was something that he wanted the church to embody as well. I love the way that he put it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. He said, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our what? Our lives as well. Like we, want, we wanted to preach the gospel to you, but we also wanted to worship with you. We wanted to gather with you. We wanted to have meals with you. We, we, we wanted... We wanted to be able to touch you and lay hands on you and pray for you. We shared our lives, not just the message. Um, yesterday, I, I got a picture of the power of the value of presence. Uh, my family, uh, my wife and three kids and I, we drove up to visit my soon-to-be, next week, 99-year-old grandmother. And she lives in Ojai, and um, if, you, if there's no traffic, it's about a three-hour and five-minute drive. Um, I'm not exactly sure when there's no traffic. <laughs> Still haven't found that time. Uh, it was nine hours in the car yesterday to spend four hours with my almost 99-year-old grandmother. Um, but I can tell you this. When I got up to her door and she opened the door, the look on her face made all nine hours worth it. My dad texted me after and said, you probably made her year. See, we could have sent a card on her birthday, but it's different to sit across the table and have a meal. It's different to try to keep my kids quiet while we're enjoying time talking with her in the living room and going for a walk in the park. And man, you guys, my grandma is 99 years old, but she is sharp. Like she remembers what people were wearing at a wedding that took place eight years ago. Now I, I, could, I could take her in a foot race for sure. But if we were playing memory, she would dominate. It's just amazing. But I was reminded of what Paul writes. Like I just, I wanted to be with you. Why? Because presence matters. Presence matters. And I think if we're gonna be people who practice personal presence, we need to recognize that that runs contrary to the prevailing grain of our culture, doesn't it? 
I mean, we live in a moment where we are fast paced and we live in our digital enclaves and it's an affront to the value of personal preference at presence at almost every turn. It's easier to send a text message than it is to make a phone call. It's easier to stay home than it is to be vulnerable and to risk being wounded. It's easier to pull back. So what if, what if we became the kind of church where we said one of our deepest held values is Christian hospitality? What, what, if, we, what if we regained that calling? What if you had somebody over for dinner? What if you asked somebody to go out to lunch after this service? Like, maybe it's not planned now, but that doesn't mean it can't happen. What if you leaned to your aisle and said, hey, let's bring a picnic next Sunday and hang out on the field and just throw some balls around and just have a good time together? What if you asked somebody to come over for Thanksgiving dinner? What if instead of sending a text message, you just made a phone call, a little bit of a heightened level of personal touch? What if you set up coffee with a friend? What if? What if, what if? See, today, would you just pray, Lord, would you help me better embody this value of personal presence? It's important to Paul. (laughs) And let's just face it, you guys. Um, My nine-hour trip to see my grandma is absolutely nothing compared to a trip from Ephesus to Corinth in the ancient world. Can can I get an amen? Amen. Let's talk about first world problems, right? traffic. Next, Paul is going to give him a challenge. And I'm going to tell you what it is up front, and then we're going to unpack it over the next few verses. Here's the challenge that he gives. It's to develop spiritual fortitude. This is one of his parting shots. He wants the church to be strong. He he wants the church to recognize that it's not always going to be easy. And when it's not easy, it doesn't mean that God is absent. Come on, listen to what he says. He says, But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door of effective ministry has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Doesn't it seem like it should be, but there are many adversaries? Because in our mind, doesn't it stand in a contrast? Well, there's either effective ministry or there's a ton of resistance. Like, aren't those opposites? And Paul goes, no. Absolutely not. It's very possible that you could have an effective ministry and there could be a ton of people pushing back against it. It's very possible that God could be on the move and that there could be people who are resistant with everything they have. See, it turns out that God doesn't destroy all of our enemies in order to give us good and effective ministry. See, that means that some of the hardest things in life might also be some of the best. Can I get an amen? That means, that means that ease is not one of the things that we take into account when we try to figure out where God is calling and what God's doing. Because God's calling might be really, really hard. It might be really challenging. And just because it's hard doesn't mean that it's not of God. I think one of the things that Paul is showing us in developing spiritual fortitude or strength, that it may very well be true that God's calling is at the intersection of fruitful ministry and challenging conditions. Which I think is a word for someone in here. I think there's there maybe multiple people who are just, you're on the verge of saying, it's so challenging, it's so hard. The marriage is so hard. 
that it's time for me to pull out. The work situation is so challenging that I just don't feel like, God, if, if it's this hard, you must not be in it. I, listen, I, I, don't, I don't wanna step on any toes here, but there's been a lot of people that have decided it's really, really hard to be a follower of Jesus in California. And so maybe, just maybe, it's time to go. And Paul would say, no, 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 no. It's possible that God could call you to a place and it could be really hard. Both could be true. Both can be true. And it means that we need to develop a sensitivity to the way that the spirit is leading and guiding. Here's the second thing he calls on them to do in developing spiritual fortitude. It says this, verse 10. So when Timothy comes, see that you put him at what? At ease among you, for he's doing the work of the Lord as am I. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me, for I'm expecting him with the brothers. You just get a deep sense of Paul's care for Timothy, don't you? I wonder if when Timothy read this, he's like, Paul, come on, man. Like I told you, I can stand up for myself. I'm, I'm fine. I know, I know I was a bit timid back then when I was younger, but I've grown up, man. But I think like, this is like an ancient anti-bullying campaign, right? And Paul's like, just go easy on him. Don't despise him. Help him out. He's gonna need it, right? But I think part of developing spiritual fortitude is being on the lookout for people who are challenged, who are struggling, who are wounded, who are hurting and coming alongside. And even when other people may be piling on, the people who are mature go, no, 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 no. There's a better way. And that's not easy on the playground and that's not easy in the church, but Paul's calling us to be the kind of people who would step in and care for those who are wounded and who are struggling. Look at what he says next. He says, now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at his will to come now. He will come when he has the opportunity. Now, I just, I love this verse. It gives us a bit of an insight into the leadership style of the Apostle Paul. Because I think we look at the Apostle Paul and how many letters he wrote that are now included in scripture, how many churches he planted. I mean, the, the guy was one of the best leaders, not just that the church has ever seen, but maybe that the world has ever known. And he says to Apollos, hey, Apollos, I would really like you to go to Corinth. And Apollos says, Nah, my translation. And Paul, I mean, someone who's that strong of a leader, that in touch with the spirit, we might assume would go, listen, I've sort of got a direct connection here to God. <clears throat> sort of writing the Bible here and you need to go. But he doesn't, he doesn't. What does Paul do? He trusts that God is at work in Apollos and that God will lead and that God will guide. See, spiritual fortitude means that we get to trust God's work in the lives of others. We don't need to control it. I love this picture of Paul because normally we think of him strong. We think of him maybe beating his chest a bit. Um, Certainly in his weakness, God made him to be a strong, capable leader. But in being a strong, capable leader, he trusts the work of the spirit in the lives of others. That's spiritual fortitude. And he goes on. And I think in the sort of summary of all of that, he says, be watchful, 
because it's easy to get distracted and lulled to sleep. Stand firm in the faith uh, because, because it's easy to lose hope and to give up. Act like men, be strong, which is a great verse for men's ministries, right? Like, act like men, be strong because cowardice is always lurking at your door. And let all that you do be done in love. Because we know that it's possible to be watchful, be strong, act like men, and be a total jerk. And Paul brings together two things that we often disconnect, doesn't he? I mean, we often disconnect effective ministry and lack of opposition, right? And here he brings together be strong and walk in love. That's what a biblical man looks like. That's what a biblical woman looks like. If you read the NIV translation, it takes this idea of it just being men and it flattens it and says, like, this is God's calling for all people. But I would say, especially for men, be strong and be loving. Have thick skin, but a soft heart. That's what Paul says. The spiritual fortitude to keep going when things get tough and to keep loving even when it's not reciprocated. That's part of his concluding shots. Verse 15. He says, Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Acacius because they have made up for your absence. They refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. And I love this picture of Paul not saying, listen, the church is all about me or I'm the lead pastor. I'm the church planter and I've got it all together. He goes, let's pay attention to these people that have sacrificed and who have given so much. And at the beginning of this letter in chapter one, he called the church out for making allegiances to certain leaders, right? I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. And some said, I follow Christ. And Paul goes, no, no, it's all about Jesus. It's not about allegiance to any one leader over another. But here he sort of says there's an other side of that coin and he calls on the church to honor devoted leaders. To honor devoted leaders. This word that he uses, devoted, quite literally means to organize. And his point is that there are some people who have organized their whole lives around caring for the saints, around making sure that the church has what it needs in order to flourish and in order to be successful and make an impact in the world, faithful people who've given so that others could be vibrant. And listen, we have a long history of devoted leaders at Emmanuel Faith. We do. Even right now, we have our staff and our team here who just serve tirelessly. We have elders who lead with integrity, who sacrifice time with their families, who are willing to pray for you whenever you need it. Please do not hesitate to reach out to our elders for prayer. It's one of the great joys of being an elder of Jesus's church. They long to help you follow Jesus and to a person. Every single one of them serves not to make much of themselves, but because they love Jesus and they love you. 
We have small group leaders who open their homes every single week to host people around a table or around couches to help them grow in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. And I'm here to tell you that in every, not every week do they feel like doing that, but they do it faithfully because they love you and they're for you. We have people who are serving with Love Esco and on our outreach teams, holding out the good news of Jesus to those who have not yet heard it. We have people showing up at schools in our local area with free coffee for teachers. We have people cleaning up trails. We have people who are serving behind the scenes that you will never see. We have over 300 of you who sacrifice and serve in order to make a Sunday gathering happen. Over 300 people who get here early to set up, who are part of our worship teams, who serve you in helping to lead worship, greeters, tech teams, kids and youth ministry workers, cafe workers, people who sweep the courtyard and get it all ready every single Sunday. Devoted leaders. They've organized their lives around serving you. If you're going, hey, Paulson, how do I become a part of that team? I'm so glad you asked. There's a communication card in your seat back and you can fill it out and drop it in the offering box on your way out. We have people who are lay counselors, people who are running support groups, people who are serving in numerous ways. And I'm keenly aware that every time I step into this pulpit, I stand on the backs of leaders who are devoted. Pastors Coy Merritt, Earl Morgan, Doc Strauss, Dennis Keating, Isn't it amazing? In 83 years of history, I only have to remember the names of four people. Praise God. Praise God. Faithful leaders, faithful, whose families sacrificed, they sacrificed in order to get the word of Jesus out. And so Paul says, listen, in, in honoring and being devoted to your leaders, here's two things to do. Number one, he said in verse 16, be subject to such as these. In the NIV, it translates that word, submit to your leaders. To submit, obviously isn't a popular idea in our day and time, but it means to allow yourself to be loved and led. Allow yourself to be loved and led. And here's what it does not mean. It does not mean that you never say anything if you disagree. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that you just keep your opinion to yourself and let the leaders lead and you just get behind. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that you don't voice your preferences and let us know when we're making decisions that you think are bad decisions. We believe in the collective wisdom of the holy priesthood. We are a community of priests here, okay? It doesn't mean you never push back. That's not what it means. What it does mean is that you give honest input and then trust the plurality of leaders to do their best to seek God's will for the direction of his church as they keep the whole in mind. The way that the author of Hebrews put it, he said, obey your leaders and submit to them for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Here, you guys, here's the, um, the truth of the matter is, um, Our elders recognize that one day we will stand before the throne of God and we will give an account for the way that we led this body. Uh, Pray for us, please pray for us. And then then the author of Hebrews goes on to say, um, let them do this with joy, not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. I love it how he puts it back on everybody else. He goes, listen, if you're just complaining and you make it really hard on your leaders, they're not gonna enjoy leading you and it's gonna create an environment that isn't good for anybody. 
It's like, let your opinion be known and then pray for leaders as they make decisions that they'll have to be accountable for. Here's the second thing Paul said. He said, um, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. The, the picture is of Paul because of these people being able to breathe deeply. For him sensing a, a spiritual wind in his sails. I, I read a, a recent study by Barna that was put out that said 42% of pastors have considered leaving ministry altogether in the last year. Now that number has ticked up. Um, as you can imagine, leading through COVID wasn't an easy thing for a lot of pastors. And so almost 50% of pastors have thought in the last year about saying, I'm done, I'm done. I'm grateful I'm not one of the 42%, but I'm not the only leader on our team. And I think as leaders and as Jesus followers, we need to be reminded that we are renewed by the spirit, but we are also refreshed by the saints. Refreshed by the saints. A word or a note of encouragement goes a long way. I'll just tell you, you have no idea. And so does partnership and ministry to know that we're linking arms together for the sake of the gospel. Paul calls the church to be spirit refreshers, honoring devoted leaders. Then he says, the churches in Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla together with the church in their house send you hearty greetings in the Lord. Not exactly sure what the difference between greetings and hearty greetings are, but hearty greetings have been given. Verse 20, and all the brothers send you greetings. It's interesting, isn't it? That Paul expands their vision once again. It's not just this church. It's a family of churches all around the globe. This is the original social network where Paul's expanding their vision of who is in their circle. And then finally he says, and greet one another with a holy kiss. How many of you think we should take the Bible literally? (laughs) How many of you are here with your boyfriend or girlfriend think we should take the Bible? No, I'm just kidding, just kidding. No, I, I like this because what Paul does here is he expands their vision to say, we're a family around the globe. The churches in Asia send their greeting and we are family down the aisle. Greet one another with a holy kiss. It was a way of expressing hospitality, but he's calling them embrace your new family. Embrace your new family and do so actively. We are all part, yes, we are all part of making this church a welcoming church. You know, that's not just a greeter's job. It's not just people that welcome with a sign out front. It's not somebody, just somebody that hands you a bulletin when you walk in. Certainly they are thinking about how to make you feel welcome and how to make you feel special and like you belong here because you do and you are, but it's all of our job to create the kind of culture where we would not be embarrassed to invite somebody to come with us knowing that other people are gonna reach out and welcome them and say, you matter. We're glad you're here, right? So shake some hands if you're not, um, it, it, maybe if you're, if you're uh, scared of COVID or sickness, you could just do this, but um, say hi. Use the Tyrannosaurus Rex arms if you need to, right? So glad you're here, right? Um, we've done the like, I honor the image of God in you if you're, but what, however you need to do it, right? Make people feel welcome. It's part of your job as you walk onto this campus because here's the deal. We don't get to outsource spurring one another on to love and good deeds. It's one of the callings for every single follower of Jesus. And listen to the way that Paul concludes. These are his 
parting words. This is his sign off. This is his stay classy, San Diego. Here's what he says. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Um, that's, that's a little bit stronger than sincerely Paul, isn't it? I mean, now he's already said this at one point in his letter. He's repeating this. And, and really, on, the church is on one hand, the most inclusive group you could find on the face of the planet. Anyone. Anyone, slave or free, Jew or Greek, male or female, anyone is invited to be a follower of Jesus and so become a part of the family of God. But it's also one of the most exclusive groups is that you only get in through Jesus. There is no other name given by which men must be saved. Jesus alone. Inclusive, anyone. Exclusive, only through Jesus. And then he says, our Lord, come. It's the only Aramaic words in the whole letter, the words Maranatha. And it's a phrase that could mean three things. Our Lord has come, or our Lord is coming, or come Lord Jesus. It all depends on context. Verse 23. And the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. And my love be with you all in Christ Jesus, amen. Did you catch his sign off? His sign off is, don't forget, God's grace is amazing. And don't forget, I love you. I love you. See, because when God's grace is experienced, his love is embodied. And in a world filled with hostility, I want you to always remember that it is also brimming with the grace of God. And when you know that, you fill it with love. You fill it with love. What a great word to end on. So, so to a church that was planted in the heart of paganism, Paul hoisted the cross of the Redeemer, rising out of his weakness to fearly and boldlessly declare that there is a king, that he has come and that he preached Christ crucified. He remained confident that the blood of Jesus had washed them clean, even though the church was a little bit messed up in some ways. Amen, right? And he reminded them that even though they were surrounded by pagan temples, the spirit of the living God lived inside of them. They were a temple of the Holy Spirit and God was at work in their midst doing a new thing. The spirit was with them, empowering them to boldly declare the gospel and to point others to Jesus. And he finally in verse chapter 15 declared that their great God had conquered their enemies of sin and death and evil, and that he would come again. So his challenge is practice missional generosity, value personal presence, develop spiritual fortitude, honor your leaders and embrace your new family and do it all with grace and love. Six seasons, 31 messages, roughly 23 hours of teaching, and my hope is that in all of it, it causes you to stand strong as an Orthodox follower of Jesus in our own culture of hostility. May we be people who live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus for the sake of his world. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Let's pray. So Father, we would say thank you 
for the ways that you speak to us through your scriptures, for the challenge that's before us after studying and learning from 1 Corinthians over this last year. God, we wanna be people who honor your name and who lift you high, Christ crucified. May what the world calls foolishness be the wisdom and power that allows your church to keep moving forward. May we cling to you, may we hope in you, and may we be people who know your grace and who embody your love. In the name of Jesus, all God's people say, amen, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.